0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. So um, I have to admit, we, we had some technical difficulties at the beginning, um, right? literally seconds before the show was to go live, and I'm just glad that it, everything uh, cleared up a bit. Um, I have three fantastic guests with me today. Um, We have expanded uh, today's show from our ordinary 30 minutes um, because 30 minutes really barely feels like a breath. Um, And we have expanded today's show to go um, what we planned for an hour, but who knows? We'll see what happens. Um, And so today is not unlike so many shows that have happened um, where the topics are timely and um, interesting to people who are going to be leaders, people who are in leadership roles. And I'm just glad that we've uh, created this space and platform so that uh, we can talk and just have a conversation. And I think that's probably the reason um, uh, for the success of this podcast has been that it's not an interview, it's not any kind of documentary uh, focus, it's just a conversation. You know, I've had people ask me for years. So uh, speaking of which, I said years, this year we're now celebrating our 10th year as a podcast. And I always get people say, are you sure 10 years? Absolutely. 10 years we've been doing this as a podcast. And have not repeated uh, having any focus once, and that 's because the universe of of topics that would be interesting to leaders um, is is ever expanding, and so um, I think part of the success has been that it 's not an interview it 's not a documentary it's just a conversation. I tell all my guests, think cocktail party we 're just going to have a talk, and um, I always have. So many interesting people that are doing fantastic work. They are writing, and and some, as today's guests will also um, demonstrate, are have come into their own to be uh, able to discuss a number of topics. So today's special episode um, is uh, focused on uh, representation, um, ethnic, um, cultural and otherwise on screen. Uh, initially this conversation was just gonna be about on screen representation, but now we've expanded to talk about really in life representation on the job in schools and otherwise and that's why we have this diverse panel of voices and our special guest though, today is a writer um, a freelance journalist and creative writer um, whose work centers on black culture and experiences at the intersections of natural and the unnatural world so um, I'm pleased to introduce you first um, our, our writer and guest um, Kirsten Adams, welcome, Kirsten. Thanks for having me. So glad to have you. Kirsten is in Philly, uh, a Philly native. We got a chance to talk just briefly, uh, so I'm um, really uh, interested to hear more about your experiences. And then we have two other um, individuals that are, that have joined us. Um, one is uh, Aaron Perkins name sounds familiar, it's because it's my daughter, um, who's in law school at the University of Utah, who's also going to come back um, into the future and uh, probably host some of these on her own, uh, some great topics she has in mind. Um, And so Erin is joined by one of her colleagues, also at the University of Utah, but at the Graduate School in Social Work, Tony Shade. So welcome, Erin and Tony.
2: Hi. What's
1: up? So glad to have all of you. And so I just want to start. I'm going to, Kirsten, I'm going to put you uh, kind of first on this. I, want, I wanted, You wrote an, an amazing piece that appeared in, in a couple of different places, but I think I saw it on Medium.com about the importance of on-screen representation. And I, I, there's so many places that I want to go with this in terms of uh, just getting your thoughts um, but, you know, for so many years, if I just simply focus on um, black culture and black um, ethnicity, um, trying to uh, bring to the forefront the, the need and the, the desire of, of the black culture to be represented um, has been a struggle um, and still a struggle. Uh, that exists and so um, tell us a little bit about what made you started you know to write about these this as an issue and something you thought would be important to discuss
3: yeah well I think it started off with you know I'm a big fan of you know media and TV books so you know this stuff is I consume it on a daily basis and one thing I noticed was I just wasn't seeing myself and as someone who loves you know, film and TV, you know, different kinds of media that I consume, I was like, how am I supposed to connect to this as a viewer if I can't see myself and, you know, imagine myself mm-hmm. in these roles? So I, I went back, you know, I was in college and I thought about when I was in high school or when I was in grade school about what TV shows was I watching and who were the main characters and what roles did we play as black people in these shows? And very few starred or centered black young people or any black characters at all. We were usually sidelined to supporting roles or the quirky side character. And it was just kind of hard to think about, you know, movies or books where I was like, okay, a black person or black families or black storylines are centered. So I think that's what drove me to saying, you know, where's the conversation here about what representation is doing and, putting more folks who look like myself
1: on screen.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So let, let's talk about it. And Aaron and um, Tony, please jump in. I do want to talk a little bit about kind of from a historical perspective. And so these certainly um, outdate um, or predate Aaron and Tony uh, and perhaps you too, uh, Kirsten, um, but let's just go back a little bit, and I'm I'm just going to stay within what I'm familiar with in terms of representation that started to happen in the '70s, and and so we we had a mixture of of representations of let's stick with say black families um, because I know that was something I wanted to see and got a chance to see, but. Um, was really confused at times because of the, sometimes it just didn't capture the complexity of what I knew to be, whether it was in my household or others in town. So we had, um, shows like Good Times that comes up. You had The Jeffersons and others. And so, um, often these were, were placed as sitcoms. And and as I got older, I also, you know, just thought about it as why is it that these there's when we have black families being represented, um, they are from a, a, a comedy perspective. So I'd love to hear you know your reflection. On that Did, does that resonate with you at all? That there were it was it was often even though we had some representation, it was often one sided.
3: I mean, yeah, I think I think comedies, you know, that that's it's a great point. A lot of families were depicted in a comedic aspect, but you also have to look at who the writers were. You know, a lot of, during this time a lot of the look at the writers' rooms, it was white men. You know, they were dictating how black families operated. And I don't think it was until maybe the Cosby's came along that you saw a black family that, you know, sure there was comedic aspects, I mean you know, that was part of it, but this was also Bill Cosby played a doctor. His wife was a, if I'm correct, a lawyer or a professor. You know, these were dignified, you know, folks. So the the history, when you go, it's, you know, that far back, you're just not seeing that much variety in the terms of families that you would see. Um, and, you know, I think it's a lot it goes to who the writers were and what they believed <laughs> people wanted to see of a black family because i think if you look at the representation historically black people have not always been depicted in the best light you know we've been drug dealers That's or right. criminals or you know so many different negative connotations that get connected to us in terms of representation so i think for some people maybe they thought levity is the only way to depict black people on screen you know we can't tell hmm. stories that get too serious because then we're uh isolating other audiences you know and other demographics mm-hmm. folks. so I think it could be really, uh, I don't know if it, 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 it's to their own detriment, but we didn't really see a variety of families or black characters on screen, uh, maybe for that reason. And right. you know, I don't, I don't know how much it's changed today.
1: Right, but but how? You know, I've heard some people also argue that if we use the Cosby Show, um, still a you know a sitcom, but that. I, I remember um, in the '80s, also people saying things like, "But the way they handle and tackle issues is not the typical black family," and and, and so it's a heavy burden. I'm going to say right up front to put on a set of writers to kind of represent the average family, but it would would to me it spoke right to the fact that it was there were so few shows that there was a lot that was expected since there were so few then we really kind of expected one show or two shows to do everything when there were dozens of other shows representing other cultures and other ethnic groups um but then we have uh, the cosby's where people would often say that's not the way black people handle things that's a white family you know, kind of in blackface, so to speak, that yeah. they are there doing that, but that's not the way black people discuss things at the at the dinner table. It's not the way they handle conflict among siblings and so forth. Um, your thoughts? So yeah, what I think. About, uh, so, what
2: about good no,
0: times?
2: I
4: like know Tony was saying. What were you saying? Uh, I would say good times to me, even though it's. Obviously, a different era, but, like, I felt like that, for my existence, I grew up in Philly. That I'd probably say in a lot of ways that represented me better than the Cosby's ever did. I, I enjoyed Cosby's, but I felt like the lifestyle that they were living was nowhere near that my family was ever going to reach. It wasn't a representation that supported my existence or inspired me to reach those heights.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so, what did it do so so, how did you know, if you if you saw it, did you kind of dismiss it as ah oh, that's that's just not that's not my reality.
4: I wouldn't say I dismissed it. I don't think at my age, I don't think I even had a true concept until later about how presentation mattered, but I knew for sure it wasn't what I existed in i, I had a, grew up in a single household um so I just and obviously the good times didn't have that, but in a lot of their everyday situations or just being, you know, low income in the hood or whatever. That represented me in a lot of ways and I guess highlighted my existence, even though I didn't watch the show when it was popping on TV, you know, I got to see it later in life and I was like, okay, yeah, that was me in a lot of ways, especially seeing how, um, to me, realistic their their uh, the children's lives were, like, um was his name jj or the the younger boy um i felt like i i resonated with him as a as a young teen or or preteen of like how they were addressing racism and um predominantly white spaces and and their roles in in academia
2: i think that just emphasizes the need for a diversity of stories you know we always i feel like white people are always like we're not a monolith And that is like a great example of it. You have maybe more affluent black families. who can relate to Cosby's Fresh Prince. Mm -hmm. And then you have, you know, just like different ranges, like black people are not solely lower all the time uh, economically, but just having the opportunity to, you know, there's a lot of shows that um, have mainly white characters and the you can go from sci-fi to romance there's there's just so many stories that they get to tell i feel like a lot of the time Mm -hmm. black stories are limited to a family unit or a drug syndicate or something Mm -hmm. like that like very um limited uh archetypes right yeah and also Well,
1: well you know also the 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 truth is that w- because we don't see many of these rep- blacks represented in uh areas and there are a lot of other ethnic groups that don't aren't represented but just sticking with um our conversation about black representation whether it's in film or in life we we don't see much of it so it's difficult for a lot of people to make that leap when they see um, when, they, when they hear about other roles that Black uh, actors may appear in, so there's there's been a wide discussion, uh, most recently about Disney casting um, a Black woman as uh, a young Black woman as the Little Mermaid, and so they're all all over social media. People are showing the reaction of children to this. But there are a lot of um, a lot of people don't like it. Don't say that it's not consistent. Um, but also, when you start talking about um, you know representation in other movies, but just that there's been historically such a lack of representation, it's difficult for us to imagine um, them in those in those roles. Not not even just in movies but in real life i think it, it translates over into how likely are we to see you know just one other quick example um there was some rumor some time ago that uhildress elba was going to become the next james bond and then so i saw in all kinds of forums I'm, I'm a james bond fan and so people say no he can't be I think in the last James Bond movie, they, they left it open for a possibility, but a lot of people didn't see it. Interestingly, I'm watching CNN the other day, and a black man had been the, um, I want to say, the chief security, like top security officer in the U.S. government, and I had to do a, a double take. Because I had no idea when I looked at it, I just was amazed. But it didn't cross my mind because I'd never seen that before. So my, you know, it, I'd love to hear what you have to say about what you think about our ability to see it on film. Also translates into our ability to see it in real life. Well, does not
3: have to do with conditioning. You know, I think if we're conditioned to see these things because we've just historically seen them for so long, having that new viewpoint can shock your system a little bit. You're almost like, oh, I have never seen this before, therefore it cannot exist. It can't be a thing because it has not been for so long. But we're conditioned to do that because of those roles that have already previously been filled. And so we start, you know, forcing really folks of color, BIPOC, specifically black people into these roles that's how we kind of start to see ourselves because we have not been in those roles before we have to put ourselves there
2: i would argue that so growing up yeah there weren't a lot of um like i really liked rom-coms and they were mostly like jennifer aniston jennifer gardner all those really popular uh white uh cameron diaz uh white uh actresses and so what i took out of it i couldn't visually see myself but what i took out of it was oh i want to be the type of woman they are you know like characteristic wise so i would argue that maybe you can see yourself personality wise in a couple of ways of course there's cultural differences um but it Maybe more so affect people in visually, um, accepting their beauty. Um, I don't know. That just made me think of that a little bit. Hmm.
4: I got a couple thoughts. Um, they might be um, controversial in a lot of ways, but so um, in in the aerial situation, I feel like. I feel like we should move past the reimagining aspects of these things of like, we're going to turn this original white character into a black character or whoever now. I feel like that doesn't give us, an, that gives one white people or whoever um, bigoted person who to ammunition of saying, oh, the white people did it first and y'all copying or, or bandwagoning or, and we can have our own thing. And then one, then the second one, it just feels like, it just feels like a capitalistic intent, not no altruistic of black folks need uh, representation or shining a light on representation. It it feels uh, in in this corporate situation, it feels like they're just trying to get more streams and more toys sold because they, they just know that black people are craving representation. And then the other one is just like, um, I feel, I feel like it's a combination of things like, yes, when representation is put out there for black folks, it does highlight and just unite folks who are like, oh, I can be this and and I can see myself reaching those heights. But, like, I think a lot of times it's about showing other groups what uh, possibilities are for black people, if that makes any sense. Like, a lot of times they put these things out so, like, white people are less afraid of us or something like that because representation, in a lot of ways, like if I'm thinking of the 80s, most of our imaging was to scare people about us, you know. So I think uh, uh, nowadays it's about softening people see us.
2: So for their benefit, not ours. Yeah,
1: 100%. Interesting. Um, And so what about those spaces? I I mean, I hear you loud and clear, Tony, um, and it makes a lot of sense that, um, you know, that these are not necessarily – uh, original original um, places or spaces that blacks have occupied, but kind of as you mentioned, reimagining those spaces, so what do you suggest? what do you suggest happen um, Is it that we need to create new, so maybe is there a space that new things are created or or what because for me the Reimagining is something I think almost has to happen because historically, intentionally, um, black and brown faces were um, were omitted from um, so many narratives in in history telling of history, but also telling of fiction. They didn't have a place. So even to go back and recast some of those because they were intentionally omitted may be an answer. But what what do you propose uh, that we do I, if, if we don't? I think what he's,
2: more, what he's more getting at is that, um, yes, you have this genre of princesses, but make an original black princess that has her own story and was written um, with the thought of, that it was going to be a black little girl or a black woman in mind, instead of just kind of blackwashing it, or it's not even blackwashing—it's just a, you just change the the color of the of the princess, and that's it. Like it's more than just the color; it's like what's her story that people that are also black can relate to,
4: and and what comes to mind when it comes to this reimagining or re. Repackaging an old content It's just not going to work Like how mm-hmm. how, um, how uh, What is it, Aladdin No one's going to like it because the original was great it, You know, no one's going to replicate uh, Robin Williams' energy Regardless if it's Will Smith doing it or not You know, it's just not the same So having your own story just always gives more potential When you're recreating something with Like a classic nostalgia For folks that is just already going to come in Or hatred because they love the original so you're again giving them M 8 something and then they're like, Oh, this is why representation doesn't matter when it, when when this movie fails in the way that it, it might, but it also will be successful because of people wanting to push that, oh, we like we like the crumb of representation that we get. Um yeah. rather than fighting for something deeper, something more personable, more more Afrocentric in our storytelling, like uh, A lot of Latin cultures, they get their own original story about their culture. The last thing we got was sold with barely anything. You know, we were more excited about the texture they showed in the hair rather than the whole story. Um, And I just and, and. And I feel like half the time when representation of black folks are out there, it's just highlighting more capitalistic pushes, not people working their own, being their own bosses or not working at all. I need to see more black hippies out there. I need more people disruptors and challenging white supremacy. I need, I need to see some Malcolm X, some some Huey P. Newton, some Angela Davis representation. Mm -hmm. Cause that, that is.
1: Sure. 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 So Kirsten, your, your, uh, uh, piece actually gets right into the heart of this. Love to hear your thoughts.
3: Yeah, um, I, I kind of feel like it was, you know, just said. I think one thing is we often plan to, you know, the respectability politics of we want to see certain types of black people on screen, or we will recreate, you know, we step into these roles that have already existed rather than uh, write them for ourselves. And yeah, I think it would be lovely to start seeing that. I think it's so necessary. I think. To have, you know, to go beyond that role of we don't have to just play, you know, the family man or, you know, again, how many times can we, we tell the story of Martin Luther King? I think it's, you know, a right. great story, but we've heard it so many times. And, you know, it would be wonderful to to see the stories of disruptors. And I think, you know, this goes to what was said is just we, we should be able to live outside of a monolith. You know, I, I think Atlanta for me is one show that does a really great job of showing what Black life can look like in so many different areas. Um, and it takes on a very surrealist lens that amplifies the message of we get to exist in so many different ways. Um, I think it just really depends on the fact that I think the audience has to be more vocal of we want to see Black people in our own roles, not roles that were written for white people that we get to take. I mean, I imagine that it's, it's wonderful for kids to grow up. You know, imagine being four or five at this time, and you might not know the white Ariel. You see a black girl play her, and you think, oh, wow, this is just a story. You know, it can be really great, but, you know, what what is being done to create new stories? And, again, I always think it relies on the writers to say we need to implement stories of, black women who are doing different things you know i think so many times we get written into stereotypical roles or small parts and we're supposed to just settle for that because hey it's representation uh, yeah. we should just be proud of that fact and you yeah. know I, I think a lot of it relies on the fact that we just unfortunately i think we settle sometimes as a community for the bare minimum of, of we're on screen and that's great uh because we're kind of the only ones fighting for ourselves you know i think it was you know, a really great point of, you know, if you were in the Latino community, you get to see yourself now starting to come out more and more roles. You know, Shang-Chi, I think, was another movie that, you know, it played into stereotypes, sure, but it was something that folks were fighting for and a lot of people wanted to go see in the theaters. Um, but how many times are people, you know, rallying for black folks like that and saying, we need more original stories you know, original characters. Um, and just I think about what it does psychologically to folks who see themselves in these in these roles and then take it off screen in real life. You know, I imagine that seeing, you know, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a great anatomy person, but when that show first came out, I think the head doctor was a black woman. How many black women saw that and said, oh, I can fill this role myself. I can
1: do this in yeah. real life.
3: Seeing it has real psychological effects that trickle down later in the line.
1: Yeah. Well, something also, I, Tony, you... I'm sorry Tony you you mentioned something that also resonated with me about sometimes how um we as black people are so excited to see someone in a role we accept it you know so we we just you know we're tickled to death that um it appeared without um the substance being there in some cases or uh the critical eye um you know I, I would love to hear how you feel about so this this i haven't seen the movie uh but there was a, there was a lot of criticism seemed to be coming from a lot of different camps about uh the warrior uh queen um the movie with Viola Davis um and the hey, the rights of, of that movie. I'm sorry that movie
2: was yeah, Woman is King. That was such a good movie. I, yeah. I understand, like, it's a slavery times, you know, thing. But I think the acting was just great. They cared about the cinematography was good. I don't know. Just as a movie, I thought it was good. And I I don't know. Everybody who had, because the Black Culture Center had some tickets, and we all went, and everybody loved it. But, um, yeah. Tony, what do you think?
1: So I'm thinking I'm thinking critically, though, you know, like so from the other side, I mean, you know, aside from the acting, again, we get back into there were people who were saying we just accepted it. So at the same time was that historically there's a lot of debate about how accurate it was. But I think to me that more so um, highlights we don't like we're trying to accomplish everything in one movie. Because out of the entire year, that was a movie that came out. But um, I'll stop. Tony, you were about to say something?
4: Yeah, well, full disclosure, I haven't seen that movie yet. Um, I will add it to my list after this. Um, I was busy the night that people were seeing it. But um, uh, I, so I had a thought for a previous thing that was brought up. So I'm going to backtrack slightly. But, um I, I was i wanted to address that that it's not enough just to put a black body black face in whatever hue of blackness on feet. We need full dimensional black characters so they need to highlight fat and uh mental illness uh, various levels of that disabilities visible and non um that's i think i think we need to hit the nuances of representation especially in the black books we don't you know, mm-hmm. like able bodied that's that's over with. Able bodiness is over with. We need to highlight other people out here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's 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 what I got for that. But uh, yeah, I haven't seen that movie. Tragically,
2: but I think you know, I know I really I feel two ways about it because one way is like there's. There's always, like, warrior movies. Like, everybody loves a warrior movie, right? But I guess if you don't want to... You thought it was a white savior movie? No. And and they love
4: slavery movies.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's what the conflict is. Maybe have a black warrior movie in a different context, like... would that be the, because black people should have warrior movies, right? We should have all types of movies. So, like, I guess the question then becomes, like, we, what era, you know, you don't want to do civil war, because that's around slavery. You don't want to do woman is king, because that was in Africa, them selling themselves. So, you know, like, do we go way before, or, like, what is acceptable for us to be, like, in every
0: downright? Mm.
1: Yeah, I, I, but I, I think for me, and and it is that there's so few. Um, so, how many people in the spaces that you're in, Kirsten, as an example, as a creative writer, are actually getting the opportunities to, you know, you do freelance work, and um, and there are a lot of of writers uh, that could could tell stories um could help uh bring perspective um but when you enter these spaces what what do you see um because the writers are the ones telling the stories so what what do you see in terms of representation there that are at the table
3: Yeah um it's funny. I think one of the reasons why I love the woman game is because it's a it's a story that centers Black women, and there are they they do not exist. They just don't exist. I, I wish I could like say that in a way that didn't feel so disheartening, but there is a reason. Publishers, there are so many organizations that push for if you are a Black writer and you have something, please send it to us because we do not get published. We do not have our stories told. So I don't think we're at a point in time where we. I don't. I mean, it, yes, it is a privilege to be picky and choosy about the black stories we tell, but realistically, we don't. We're not telling enough. There are not enough right. being told. There are not enough black people being centered, um, not without at least us dying at the end or being brutally murdered in some aspect. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I think in those realms, I'm not seeing folks who look like me. So when I do hear these stories and see them, I almost, you know, as much as I don't want to sometimes, I'm like, let me go and support because a black writer did this or, you know, a black cinematographer, a black director, the cast is primarily black. I'm like, I got to go and support this because it is a black story and it is unapologetically that way. You know, I was not a big fan of the film Queen and Slim, but mind you, that was a real, it was shot beautifully the director and writer for both black women, uh, queer black women, I believe. And I'm just, I'm, I'm immensely proud of that fact, but it's still, but if I, I don't really like that movie. Cause again, it's, it's black people being murdered. It's black trans women being murdered and beaten. And yeah. it's just not us in the best light. And there's so much violence. And I know that someone might say, well, you know, there's violence in stories that have white people. That's so true. But I almost feel like, we needth there needs to be a a number of stories written because sometimes the ones that do get put out are specifically trauma porn you know we want to see black people get hurt. We want to see the stories of slavery because you know nothing sells like white guilt sometimes you know people are just yeah. like, "Oh my God, this is such a great story and it was well there's plenty of great stories out there, but what are the ones that are you know being sent to you know screens what are the ones that you know people pick up um and so there needs to be more room for every story to be told with Black people at the helm and Black people at the center. Um, but I, I don't know. I think I'm I'm grappling with my own picky and choosiness, but also wanting to see every type of Black story, you know, and and yeah. seeing the ways that we get to exist within the world.
1: Right. Well, you you know that certainly um, strikes a chord with me, um, where you talk about. There's the violence or someone getting killed at the end. Um, I was in elementary school when Roots um, came on television, and that was one of the biggest moments. I mean, in television history for uh, telling a story, um, a tragic story about slavery, but that cut across mainstream at the time. And I just remember though being in elementary school and going to school the next day because everyone when I say everyone, every household that I can even think of, black and white, were watching. and mm-hmm. but when I you know I grew up in rural Alabama, but when I got to school, um, honestly mm-hmm. um, was embarrassed. And the reason I was embarrassed was largely because I didn't have the you know, the the words to talk about the strength there and that that was there demonstrated in the movie. Now as an adult can go back and, and look and show where there was so much power in everything that happened. Um but that but just not having you know, that when we saw black people, this is how we saw black people. And, of course, children made what they will of that, you know. But it was – it's it, it it leads me to the question, what are we doing now, do you think, in terms of the representation that these things appear? So you do have certain movies that are out or which that has quite a bit of access because now – You know, you have where kids can go to digital, you know, the streaming services and play all kinds of movies. But we didn't have that before. So they have at their fingertips a wide range of movies. But what goes along with that, both for adults and children, is the understanding, too. So the conversation we're having about representation, if you look you know, there's, uh, I think there's the one Tubi or these other streaming services that have a wide range of independent films and mainstream films. But what about the understanding of what that all means when we see not just the Cosby's but different perspectives and the, the real understanding that comes from what, what is por- being portrayed as the black experience?
3: I think there needs to be a push from, you know, families to say, and and individuals to say, I want to learn about someone who's not like myself. Um, You know, I'm a a big fan of, I love watching uh, Korean and Japanese reality TV shows. I accidentally found them on Netflix and suddenly I was totally engulfed in them. And now I find myself so interested in them and, and not only just the shows, but the lifestyle and the culture. And I think for so long, because we, you know, if if it was other, it was different. Whereas now it's like, we need to understand one another. There's no, I, I'm I'm a believer in there's, you know, no better way of learning about someone or understanding people than seeing, you know, just them authentically on TV, or even just in real life reading about them. And I think sometimes we we shield our children or we shield each other from saying like oh I don't watch that because you know it's it's, it's a black show or it's it's this it's that but it's that's another lifestyle that's another walk of life that you don't know about that you could learn from and I'm not saying that every depiction is going to be accurate I I think that's a, a, you know that is just definitely not true but it's a it's a imagine growing up in a small town where everyone looks like you. And you can't really escape that. One of the best ways to broaden your horizons the cultures of people is to consume media. Um, and and that might come in the form of watching Netflix shows. That might come in the form of watching, you know, TikToks or, or YouTubers or even just reading. But I think there needs to be like this push to understand different lifestyles and really uplifting folks who are telling different stories. Uh, I, I don't really know you know, I think about um, the the movie The Marriage Story by Noah Baumbach. It was really just the story of a, a couple who went through this divorce. And I thought to myself, how many more stories like this really matter or are actually doing anything to, like, the cultural zeitgeist? Like, does this have any real weight to it anymore? And I think about the stories of, you know, Tangerine or... Uh, different stories that offer different perspectives on black life. Even Akeelah and the Bee, one of my favorite movies growing up, which was a young black girl who was good at spelling. It shows you her family and her family connections and the the tightness of a family unit within black culture. Uh, it, it, It gave you an insight on privilege and what it looks like to be a little bit disenfranchised and to have to fight to get into these spaces that don't want to see you. That's a real look. At what it could be like for someone who doesn't understand. So I think for me, it's, it's it's this idea of how do we start integrating into our lives, viewing different cultures through media and through you know reading, and not making it a negative, but something that can be a real positive thing, and not something that is, you know, I don't I don't want maybe maybe weird, but something that is you know praised. And folks should really look forward to doing a thing. Oh, I, I, I understand. not underst- I don't know how much you're going to understand just from watching TV, but saying, oh, okay, I, I have no understanding of what this lifestyle is like or what. I don't live in a town where there's a lot of black people. Maybe I should watch this show that has more black people in it. And through that, you're supporting black creatives. You're giving, you know, folks. The ammunition they need to say we want more black stories out there. Yeah, you know, people like this stuff. People learn from it. They're receptive to it. So I think it starts with just like saying how about having an open conversation of what what it, what's the the media that you consume and how can you change that?
2: And mm. I think the heart of this whole conversation is why does representation matter? I think it matters because people just want to feel validated. And so if you can identify the emotions or situations in which people go through and then write about them in a culturally active perspective, then you're validating a whole community and they can relate to what they're seeing on screen. And And I think that's just what people want. And I think it's, out of everything, we all kind of experience the same human emotions. It's just, you know, it, it differs because of societal structures. But if you can identify those those basic human, like wants and feelings, and then put them in a culturally relevant situation, I think that's, that's the formula to having accurate representation um, in media. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and so if we if we can just pivot a little bit. I know we've used up most of our time talking about on screen. I want to pivot and talk about in real life. And and so you you actually talk about this a little bit too, Kirsten. Um uh, but I know um Aaron and and Tony, you are both at uh the University of Utah and those are, you know, the, the uh predominantly white institution where even within there is not there are not a lot of blacks there um and you know i i we know that in terms of population in Utah there are not a lot of blacks i mean not that there are none, but uh relatively speaking there are few but um I want to get to talking about representation as a as a um, Black faculty member at an Ivy League institution, I have year after year, I've had students come to me and say, you're the first, black and white, you're the first African-American uh, professor or first African-American male professor I've had in my entire uh, academic career. Many who come already have a master's degree and are either pursuing a doctorate or a second master's. And they say, I'm the first. And, and so at one point in the department where I am, I was the only African-American um, faculty member. And, and so I know that it has made a difference um, where students have said that just seeing you in this role makes a big difference. And I think to your point, Aaron, about um, it being something where you feel validated, I'd love to hear all three of you to jump in and talk about just that that what that emotion of validation, what is that what does that feel like look like to have people in roles? So now stepping outside of what we see in film, but in positions of authority, positions of 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 expertise, um Sorry would you tony what what how does that feel for you? How does that resonate for you when you walk in and you even if it's just um at a glance you've seen you, you know, you've seen someone and you may not even talk to them how does that make you feel and why okay.
2: He's not so. Sure. Can you like
1: repeat the question? Yeah, I, I'm just wondering when you see people of color in positions of authority and or expertise, try if you can just to um, explain how that feels for you. You know, you mentioned mm-hmm. Aaron about validation, but what what if I know it's hard when you're talking about a human emotion, to put into words, but what does does that really do for you? So if you see people in your – why does it matter to you that they are in these roles? Tell me how that makes you feel when you see someone, whether it's a professor or, you know, the doctor you go see or a nurse in the hospital Mm -hmm. caring for you. How does that make you feel when you see representation in real life?
4: well i would say in utah it hits different
1: um coming from
4: uh philly then atlanta then the utah it's huge shifts of blackness um so and, and as a black social worker uh i recognize myself um what i what i am representing and, and who I'm doing for. So my expertise is in, in uh, black care. So I do a lot of therapy for black folks, mostly refugees um, and asylum seekers at the current moment. But so let's see, um, black folks, faculty members at the school in the social work program, I'd say surface level, seeing them, I'm like, oh shit, okay. Uh, I got, we're seeing black folks. I'm excited. I'm happy. But you know, the saying, not all skin folk is Ken folk, is, is very real. Not all black folks is mm-hmm. going to represent it the same way. Not all black folks is going to treat us and give us that extra care and love and support that we need. Um, uh, you know, a lot of folks might be in a little bit of a sunken place or just held differently because they're in a predominantly white space that they know they can't shine their blackness unapologetically as they would like to or don't have that access. To themselves in that way, so I would say, surface level, it looks great. I, I'm happy. I, I it, it it ignites excitement that I will be supported and understand that this all these systems and institutions aren't created for us, and that I will get extra love and support. But like I said, not all folks are down with that, and they might they might be more negative or something. Um, mm-hmm. They might. Well, they might hold us to a different standard than the white folks around us. And, and that can be good and bad in a lot of ways. It can be discouraging because you're like, you know, black professor I had, but you're like pushing me hard as hell. And, I, you know, it's, yeah. it, it's enough. I thought I'd be soft and loved or whatever. But mm-hmm. is their agenda to push us to be, to see past, you know, the predominantly white institution and know that we're uh, to, to limit our, what do you call it? um Imposter syndrome is sometimes that comes off, mm-hmm. but it can be yeah. when they're pushing as harder yeah. than the people around.
1: Them. Absolutely. What about you, Erin? How does it make you feel?
2: Um, there are definitely a limited amount of black faculty that I interact with, but um, I did seek out one personally, and I think just um talking with her made me feel more comfortable i think a lot of the times in not only white spaces um there's this fatigue that comes uh, with being treated differently or having to deal with um, microaggressions all the time and so having somebody who can relate kind of it's just like a stress reliever and kind of helps you refresh, like recharge and be like, okay, they're doing it, I can do it. And it just helps you keep going towards the end of your, towards your goal. Um, but I guess that's if you personally know the person. Um, just seeing, I mean, I'm always surprised when I see a new black Space on campus, um, like, oh, cool, but that's, like, the
1: extent of it. Sure. Well, you know, both of you have said something that I, you know, I reflect on as a professor. Um, I've been in spaces where um, and I've, I've, my career spans uh, really four different universities um, in faculty roles, um, but uh, when I think about across, my experience is it's pretty consistent that um, I'm often expected to be the black person whisperer, if you will. You know, I I get people who ask me what I think, but it's only as it relates to those issues, whether, you know, um, we should give a student the benefit of the doubt um, when they talk about hardships or what have you. what do you think is this valid? But I've also had to stand up and help people understand that um, it's not it's not just my responsibility to have a compassionate and empathetic ear is also theirs. Um, and so I, I can see how it's made a difference in a lot of cases where I've been in the room. I've been the person in the room to help, Understand what is what is going on and happening behind the scenes, and what can happen. What about you, Kirsten? What 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 have you experienced? Um, Well,
3: well, with schooling, I've been in predominantly white spaces as long as I can remember. You know, from first grade to probably college, and. You know, I with my career as a writer, I credit my first black teacher that I had my sophomore year, Michael Burns, who really gave me the language that I have today to be able to talk about my experience just as a a black writer, as a black journalist, as uh, a black student. Um, you know, I, I I look back and I, there's moments where I'm like, oh my god, I'm to- so indebted to this person, and I really try not to. You know, credit too many people on my journey because, again, that imposter syndrome of do I belong here? And, like, no, I do. But I I was really emboldened and given so much power by my professor, who was a black man, and who said, hey, read these books. You know, if if you want to see what the future looks like, try Afrofuturism. If you're into this, look at this journalist who writes about, you know, what's going on in black arts communities. And I, I, I really wouldn't be in this work without my professor, and I know how crucial he was to me because I, I am where I am. But I can only imagine mm-hmm. that if you didn't have someone who looked like you as a teacher, maybe you were. And, and I do understand the, the you know, the the black teacher who you know, lays on their students of color a little bit more because they want to see them do so well and they will not let them be or just get by. And I that can be a detriment and that can be really hard. But I, I know that having that visibility of saying that is a professor or a teacher who has made it through this institution or an institution like this one and is now, you know, has this kind of presence. And I think it would be so powerful and really motivation uh, motivational for students. Um, and, and in all realms, you know, I thought I, I, it started with just my teacher, but then I wanted that replicated in almost every facet of my life. My doctor yeah. is a black woman. My dentist is a yeah. black person. My optometrist is black. I said, I <laughs> want... Folks who look yeah. like me, helping yeah. me, and every every aspect of my life, and yeah, it, it's it was very motivational to this day of being like I want to work with, see, work under, um, report to, work above. It doesn't matter. I was like, I want those people in my space because my professor has shown me it's possible.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and you're you're very fortunate. I mean, you're in Philadelphia, where there are options for you to have in all aspects of your life. People who look like you, working with you, working for you, and looking out you know for your your best interests. Um, uh, but there are places, as we all know, where, as you've also mentioned, where you were. The only or one of a few blacks in those spaces. Um, oh yeah, no, it's know, the, a privilege. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I guess at the end of this, um, what what we what the the, the research says about this, um, certainly in schools is is pretty conclusive that um, children do better um, when in schools where. The leaders are um, there's there's what they call um, student teacher race congruence and student leader race congruence. Um, it's not that they're getting any special treatment. Um, there is something that becomes um, more uh, prevalent in what's called academic press that they they feel better about the work that they're doing and why they're doing it when there are representative groups around them. And I think that would be the same case in the work world uh, as it is in the academic world, whether it is you know pre-K12, um, tertiary education in, in, in universities, um, all the way around is that you would get more from people as they see, uh, representation and um, and so that's really what we're here to talk about and that's what we've we've discussed here for the better part of the last hour is um, that representation does matter um, so I, I want to stop here and just thank all of you uh, for being uh, available tonight I'm sure uh, individuals who are going to listen in to this made some have been listening live and others uh, listening um, uh, later as a, as a podcast, we'll, we'll capture this and um, hopefully be enriched by it. Just as I have been, um, wishing all of you the best and um, success. And uh, until I see you, um, thank you again. Go well, stay well, everyone.
2: Thanks so much. Thank you.